0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the AHM podcast. I am your host, Sterling. Today, we are joined by Alex from NYU Krishna Bhakti Club. Welcome to episode two, and we will just dive right into it. So welcome, Alex. Hi, Sterling. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for being on the show. Um, So I just want to start out by having you introduce yourself and then talk about the club a little bit
1: sure my name is alex and um i'm kind of co-running the club with our president and another person um, from the bhakti center which is a cultural center in the city um, that focuses on meditation yoga some philosophy all geared towards helping people get free from stress and just connect uh spiritually you know within um and so the club very much reflects that and that it's very much uh a spiritual club, in a way. Uh, the main focus is meditation, specifically music meditation, um, and so that takes up the largest chunk of what we actually do. Then um, typically we'll have a short talk um, that just reflects on different aspects of coping with, uh, you know, a very materialistic society and trying to retain some kind of um, spiritual balance and and just general sanity. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I've, I've uh, been involved with uh, spiritual life in a serious way for about seven years. I actually went to India right out of high school because I was searching for answers and ultimately I wanted to get to know myself better before I decided what to do with my life. Uh, so I lived in an ashram for about two years, uh, in and out of India, different places, traveled a little bit. And um, then I receive an instruction from my guru to go back to college. So I wound up back in school and now I'm a senior there and, um, and yeah, very happy to have found a way to connect what I was doing in India, the whole spiritual side um, with school and, you know, with, you could say, you know, the material side of life as well. So.
0: Right. That's great. Um, So you mentioned music meditation. What exactly happens in, in one of these meditation events?
1: Right. Yeah, um, it is an ancient practice, actually, um, that's actually recommended in the, in the scriptures, the Vedic scriptures, which go back thousands of years. Um, they actually predicted different uh, things would happen during this day and age. It's, they refer to it as Kali Yuga, which is called uh, the Age of quarrel. And so, uh, whereas in previous ages, just sit down, meditation, you know, um, go into the forest. And stuff like that was recommended nowadays um, because of the circumstances we're in in terms of how busy things are and um, how materialistic society has become. They've recommended music meditation as the uh, key means to elevate the consciousness and um, raise ourselves to some kind of uh, higher level spiritually. And so essentially what it is, is um, you could either do it with or without instruments. We do it with instruments. Uh, there's a drum that we use called a madunga that's very cool. Um, and then a harmonium typically is the other essential instrument we use, which is a type of, of keyboard, you could say. It's almost like a cross between that and an um, accordion. That it, 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 uh, There's air that passes through it that gives it its amplification. And so the instruments aren't essentially that important. What's most important is the sound itself um, of the mantra that we chant. And so specifically, we generally chant the Maha Mantra, uh, which is, again, it's in the scriptures, and it's reputed to be non-different from the spiritual world, in a way, Um, and that whereas in the material world, sound is uh, relative, and that I could continuously say water, 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 but I won't uh, have my thirst quenched. Um, In terms of spiritual sound, if you keep on repeating it, then you'll actually connect with the object that you're referring to. Um, and so the mantra is the Hare Krishna mantra, which has become relatively well known, especially in the streets of New York City. Um, and it, it essentially just goes Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama Hare Hare. And by repeating that over and over again, then we um, get closer to the divine in a way, and uh, we can connect very easily to. Uh, what that mantra is referring to.
0: So this is, um, excuse me if it seems like a crude comparison, but so this is like when you're walking on the street or in the park and then, uh, you know, people Mm -hmm. are banging on drums and singing the mantra?
1: Right, yeah, it's similar, similar. It's in the same vein of uh, of mantra meditation, music meditation, yeah. um, But there's all different kinds of transformations and permutations of it in that it can be done in different ways, Um, some people who do it are, you know, uh, working people, they're not all monks, you know, walking down the street. There's a lot of different types of people that, um, do music meditation, this kind of mantra meditation. Um, but yeah, the essence is is essentially the same, you know, of, of, uh, elevation through, um, through mantra meditation, through focusing
0: on the mantra. Interesting. That's really fascinating because I, normally when people think of meditation, it's like a very quiet thing where it's like complete silence and people right. are you know deep in thought so i'm wondering like what the thinking is behind this version of meditation where you guys are actively making music
1: right yeah uh it's a good point and uh and like i got like previously said in bygone ages it was a lot easier for people to to really meditate just silently you know thinking meditating on something within on the breath uh, generally, because people just in general weren't as disturbed by things like iPhones and um, you know cars driving by and stuff like that, and so it was much easier to actually enter deeply into a meditation that didn't require some kind of positive um, uh, something to focus on. Right. Uh, and so the whole idea behind mantra meditation is is then that you actually give the mind something positive to focus on, um, as opposed to trying to clear the mind of all thought. And so as long as that, uh, what it's focusing on is actually spiritual, uh, then you can elevate your consciousness uh, to a spiritual plane. And so it's an easier way to meditate, and it's something that you can do throughout the day, in that you know you can't be necessarily uh, walking down the street and, and enter into a deep meditation you know on nothing, per se, because you have to be conscious of your surroundings. But in this case, uh, you can be walking down the street and be chanting to yourself and be listening to the mantra, and in that way be meditating throughout the day.
0: Gotcha, because you're actively speaking it out and just hearing it and reminding yourself of it, right?
1: Exactly, yeah. It's a constant reminder you can give to yourself. And by so doing, by keeping the vibration going like that, then you you really do feel your consciousness um, becoming situated in a much higher state, for sure.
0: I see. Um, So this is one event that you do in the club. I'm wondering if this is like, The main thing you guys do, or if there are other things you, other events you put on?
1: Yeah. This is definitely the main kind of the bread and butter of the club. Uh, In terms of like the rest of the meeting, it's generally we'll do like a 15 minute talk, um, just about general spiritual topics. um, And then we'll typically have a big feast afterwards uh, and some time for questions, reflections, and stuff like that. Um, And then in terms of other events, we will do retreats every so often, which uh, we have, uh, we'll have our group come to the Bhakti Center, which I had mentioned previously. It's like a yoga meditation philosophy place. Um, and and once there, we'll do again, like the music meditation, we'll have a big feast for them. Um, we'll have some kind of class and generally some yoga. Um, but definitely all of our activities are, are centered around um, elevating the consciousness, connecting to our spiritual self and um, and going deeper within ourselves instead of, you know, what makes up the rest of, of most of our days, which is generally, you know, maintaining the outer body, you know, and, um, and doing uh, material activities, not to say that they can also be spiritualized, you know, if someone's in the proper consciousness, but it is definitely important. We feel to, to have some time set aside um, for, for, for solely going within and cultivating your uh, inner self,
0: right, absolutely. And you mentioned food, so are there any specific foods that um, you will provide, or any, you know, foods that are more symbolic of something in the religion? Or,
1: right, yeah. The most important thing is is the consciousness with which it's cooked. And so, with our food, uh, it's all brought from the temple um, at the Bhakti Center, and it's all cooked by monks. Who are you know responsible and they very much do maintain a, a higher kind of consciousness because you know, say, like, you know, when you're when you come home after being at school for a long time or say for the holidays and you get a nice cooked meal from your mom, you know, generally that'll taste better than something you know you get at McDonald's, you know, even if it's the same preparation. And, you know, a big reason behind that is because of the love and the care that your mom put into it, as opposed to, you know, the guy at McDonald's, Slip and Burgers. And so we're very much, um, we put a great emphasis on the the way the food is cooked and that it should be done in a spiritual consciousness. And what does that mean? It means it should be made as an offering of love to the divine, you know, ultimately, ultimately to, you know, the divine uh, spirit or the super soul within all of our hearts, you know, which is, which we refer to as Krishna, you know, it means all attractive or, you know, otherwise, you know, God, these things, Uh, there's different names, but, you know, ideally we want to make things as an offering to God and offer them with love in our heart to him. And then once we eat them, then our consciousness then becomes uh, more infused with that love, you know, and devotion that, that it was made with.
0: Are there any specific foods that you will eat for different occasions, or
1: not necessarily? No, we're very much you know open. It's we have all different kinds of stuff. The only uh, restriction is vegetarian. We we only take vegetarian, no meat, fish, or eggs. Um, but other than that, it's not so similar to like say like you know the uh, the Jewish uh, religion in that you know they have matzah and lox and these kinds of things. Obviously, Indian food is is typically um, you know one of the Main things that you might see on on the menu, but it's there's no restrictions in that we uh, we have all kinds of stuff as long as it's vegetarian.
0: So you put down that you wanted to talk about a little bit about the Vedas. Is that how do you pronounce it?
1: Yeah, 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 sure.
0: You know, according to the Vedas, there's a root cause of dissatisfaction in life. Um, things about how to control the mind, what is the soul, and, and some other points that you wanted to talk about. So I kind of wanted to just dive in because I'm Personally, quite unfamiliar with this, um, but it sounds very interesting. So, if you want to start somewhere around that,
1: mm. sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, essentially, the essential premise of of spiritual life, especially according to the Vedas, is that uh, the root cause of dissatisfaction is a neglect of the soul, which comes from ignorance. You know, we're not conscious of the fact that we are a soul, we're a spiritual being inhabiting a material body. And so what that leads to is to use a metaphor. Essentially, we are cleaning the cage and neglecting the bird. You know, we're doing so many things for the body, making, um, maintaining, making sure we get nice food, making sure, uh, you know, we're dressed nicely and we look good and stuff like that. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's only once it's disconnected from our actual self, which is spiritual, that it becomes a source of misery because at that point then we are acting unnaturally and that just like as a fish is happy in water, because that's its nature is it's an aquatic. We as spiritual beings are happy when we're in a spiritual atmosphere, you know, whether it be in our mind or in our, you know, physical environment uh, and when we have a spiritual consciousness. And so just as a fish can never be happy when it's outside of the water because it's against its nature, the soul which is spiritual can similarly never be happy when it's, outside of its spiritual nature and is trying to act materialistically. Um, and so that's essentially the essence of the Vedic scriptures and of uh, Eastern spirituality, or one could even argue of spirituality in general, that if we're required to connect to who we really are and, and our true source um, through spiritual practices, through associating with other spiritual people if we want to be happy just as a means of um, being reinstated in our natural position, ultimately.
0: That makes sense. Can you give an example of maybe how someone could be in a situation of dissatisfaction and some way they apply this, uh, scripture to change those things?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, the most, one of the most famous examples is, well, there's many of them, but, um, you see in George Harrison from the Beatles, right? Um, He was, you know, one of the most wealthy, famous, uh, successful people of all time, you know, especially musically. Uh, He had pretty much everything in terms of what uh, people generally want, in terms of what they think will make them happy. Think about the money. You think about the power. You think about the fame, the influence, um, you know, the ability to have multiple partners, you know, you're, you're desired after. And so someone like him had everything, all of this, um, but still there is a feeling of dissatisfaction. And that's not obviously isolated to his circumstance, but we hear that a lot, you know, and we see it all the time. We you know with movie stars or famous people in general either are, are severely addicted to drugs or they're severely depressed or they even a lot of times wound up committing suicide. And that's because despite them having all of these material opulences, they're still not satisfied because they're not connecting to who they really are. And so, again, they're basically fish out of water. You can't survive like that, even if you have the most opulent uh, castle in the world and a nice little sand car. And so with someone like him, he was basically completely uh, dissatisfied, but seeking. He knew that there was something more. So he got in contact with devotees um, and spiritual people. He was able to connect to a genuine spiritual practice. and. Um, and he became happy and so this is readily available for anyone and everyone
0: so what do you think the best approach is for people who are just starting out in this realm and you know maintaining it and as you wrote down like attaining a lasting happiness
1: right Uh, i think the most important thing and not just i think but this is also recorded in, in the scriptures um is you need to have good association. You need to surround yourself with people who are have a similar goal of, of, uh, of spiritual connectivity. Um, because otherwise, even if you do get a nice kind of spiritual practice going for a little while, generally we become like who we associate with. Um, and so we're very much prone to being influenced by our surroundings. And so if we're around people who, uh, you know, generally give off a more negative energy or or they have no interest whatsoever in anything spiritual, it's not necessarily that we should shun them, but we should readily seek association of those people who are spiritual and you do have some kind of uh, sincere and serious spiritual inclination. Um, and so even that, that reason I say that also is because even in the times where we may feel less inspired spiritually, then just by having spiritual friends, and being in that kind of uh, environment and association, then we'll be able to get through those times and um, and come out on top in the end. Um, so that's one of the main things I'd recommend uh, for sure. There's all different kinds of genuine spiritual centers, um, especially, you know, Hare Krishna temples are all over the world, all over America. Uh, they have different yoga studios, of course, and there's other you know genuine spiritual communities as well. Um, but that's very important, and then from there, then um, you can get uh, personal guidance that's fine-tuned to who you are. You know, based on um, you know your relationships with the people who you meet that are uh, already you know serious in their spiritual efforts, um, and in that way, you can really be uh, personally guided um, according to your nature, which is really important to have someone who uh, knows you and who is a little bit more, you know, spiritually advanced, you could say, than you are, um, that can help guide you, you know, according to who you are. So that's very important, the kind of association you keep, for sure.
0: I think of like learning a language where, you know, you have a teacher, and the best way to learn the language is to be immersed in it, and to just always be around people who, for lack of a better term, are better than you at it, Um, and that's Mm -hmm. the way you can Mm -hmm. learn the, the grammar and
1: Yeah, no, yeah, completely. It makes total sense. It makes total sense, especially, and then you you add in the element of these people actually care about you. You know, they have, you know, sincere feelings of, uh, of compassion, you could say, or, you know, just genuine empathy that they really want you to learn the language, you know, you know, take the example of a parent, you know, how much faster would you learn a language from a parent as opposed to just, you know, some random people who don't really care about you, you know, just having a random you know interaction with you know but 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 as soon as you connect with someone who is in that state you know where they are immersed in in that in what you want to immerse yourself in and not only that but they actually care about you they actually are have a soft heart and they want to see you progress and grow then it becomes very easy it becomes natural and you don't even have to think about making spiritual advancement It will just be a concomitant factor of of your being in, in approximation with these people.
0: Right, absolutely. So I'm interested in talking about the soul. What mm-hmm. is the soul to you and within the krishna Bhakti community?
1: Right. Yeah, um, according to the Bhagavad Gita, the soul is is that part of us which animates the body. And so the best way to give a visual of how to explain is, you know, say someone you really care about, you know, who you're close with, God forbid, dies, or we would say leaves leaves the body, uh, then you don't want to be around that body necessarily anymore. You want to put it under the ground. You definitely don't want to take it home with you or hang, bring it to the movies or something. And the reason why is because that person who you care about, who you're friendly with, is gone. They're no longer there, but the body is still there. And so how do you reconcile? Well, the fact of the matter is that you're never attracted necessarily to the body itself, per se, but to the to the soul, to the to the spiritual spark that's animating the body, and so the soul is us, you know. It's the it's the it's a part and parcel of the supreme soul or Krishna God, you could say, or spirit, however uh, people want to uh, call it. There's no restrictions there. Um, but it were essentially, as souls were parts and parcels of the original supreme soul, um, and as such, were just as the energy is meant to serve the energetic or just as you could say the, the fingers are meant to serve the hand or, or the limbs of the body, the parts of the body are meant to serve the person as a whole. We, being the parts of the Supreme Soul, are meant to serve that Supreme Soul. And so in that way, then we uh, become happy, you know, because we're actually in our natural position um, as, uh, as members of a loving relationship, of a spiritual loving relationship, um, between ourselves and Krishna, your God.
0: Does that tie into a goal of life where it's to attain this forever-lasting happiness once the soul leaves the body?
1: Right. Yeah. And um, essentially, yes. And it it, um, it boils down to love, ultimately, which is not unreasonable to conclude, uh, considering that pretty much everything we see uh, in terms of movies, TV shows, books, music, it all comes down to love it's not a new thing. It's the oldest thing. Uh, we see it in all the histories that love makes people do crazy things. People do um, unimaginable things for love. It's often the guiding force of everyone's lives, either a desire to be loved or, or people acting for people they love. And so what is the original form of that love? It's the love between the soul and, and God or Krishna. Um, and so the goal of life then is to revive that original, eternal, spiritual love that's actually inherent within us. It's the nature of the soul to be loving, to love and to be loved, and so essentially, then you could say the goal of life is is simply to awaken to that, to uncover it, and to uh, and to realize oneself as being a loving uh, part of the supreme abode of love or Krishna, um, and this is something that need not wait until we leave the body per se; it can happen you know, at any moment. Um, and that's typically who we end up calling gurus, you know, people who are experiencing this love, who have dedicated their lives to the process of reawakening this love and who have attained a certain level of, of advancement so that they can help other people uh, come to that state also.
0: So these gurus who commit themselves to attaining this, uh, this connection between the soul and God is it similar to like a Christian monk who is celibate and spends their time doing this and spreading the mantra, or is does it take a different form? Um,
1: sometimes, not always. There are renunciants, um, you know, some, sometimes called sannyasis or swamis um, that take a vow to not enter into uh, marriage and completely dedicate themselves solely to. Um, to teaching people meditation and and these kinds of things. Um, And there are also people who are married, who have regular jobs even, but they are uh, serious in their spiritual endeavors. Um, And so it's not limited to just a certain um, demographic per se, but the person has to be internally qualified. The person has to be advanced. And there are certain signs which show that advancement and, um, The first one is called Nishta, which means fixed. It's a Sanskrit word. It essentially means one who is uh, undeviating, unwavering in his endeavors to be of service, to serve others, to serve Krishna, and to uh, help others in the path um, to enlightenment, ultimately. Um, And so that's something you can't fake. (laughs) Either you show up or you don't, essentially. And so you could see that... um, just as in people who are very much advanced in material ways, uh, they never quit. You know, they get up early in the morning every morning, they go to work, and they and they dedicate their lives to something. In a similar way, um, people who are spiritually advanced, uh, they never quit, and they are they're fixed every morning, every day. They're um, busily engaged in welfare activities for the world. And the other factor is uh, something called okya which essentially means that everything that comes out of their mouth is for everyone's benefit and that you're not going to ever hear them criticizing other people, especially unnecessarily. Um, But they're always speaking in such a way as to help others. And they've completely eradicated the desire in their heart to criticize other people. Um, And they're completely absorbed in a mood of, uh, of compassion and of, of, you know, genuine love for, for the people they come in contact with. And so it needn't be um, that someone uh, be celibate per se or um, that they um, belong to a certain kind of class, but they do need to exhibit certain personality traits um, and they need to um, have proven themselves, you know, over decades, you know, that, they, uh, that they're the real deal ultimately, you know.
0: Right, that makes sense, it, uh, especially tying back into the whole idea that this isn't about material objects, you know, how much money you have or how many people you know, but more of what kind of personality you can uh, contribute and share with other people.
1: Right, exactly. It's very much uh, character-centric. It's very much a focus on our internal uh, sta- status as opposed to the external factors, you know, for sure.
0: So thinking about all of this in the situation the world is in now in quarantine where a lot of these materialistic things that we've had access to are essentially stripped away from all of us. What are some ways people can stay engaged or even start these practices within this quarantine, you know, where maybe they don't have access to to go to a temple or a group. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, Best way I'd say is, um, well, there are different ways. Um, One way is through our online programs that we're offering at the Bhakti Center, which a lot of are free. Um, And so you could go there to the Bhakti Center website and they have all kinds of different um, yoga classes, meditation classes, um, music meditations that they lead also just like talks, you know, they'll have people come in and speak about different subjects. Um, And so people can go there, if they want, it's bhakticenter.org, B-H-A-K-T-I, bhakticenter.org. And another way is is reading spiritual literatures, you know, uh, especially for people who have an inclination towards reading. One of the most powerful ways to elevate our consciousness is to absorb our consciousness in spiritual literatures. Um, And so we have tons of those at the Bhakti Center uh, that we've actually been sending out to people on a regular basis, Uh, different community members, friends, friends of friends. We've actually been doing a transcendental lockdown book drive in which we've been mailing out spiritual care packages to people to help them uh, get, you know, kind of cope with the anxiety, stress, and boredom, ultimately, that a large portion of the society is is experiencing. Um, And so then people could contact me uh, directly if they're interested in receiving those literatures. which uh maybe you could post my email or something uh somewhere with the podcast uh, when it goes up or something
0: sure absolutely
1: um, and uh, besides that uh there's a really easy way to to meditate which is just to have some spiritual music playing you know whatever you're doing in the background uh just the vibration itself really helps to uh elevate the consciousness and to situate one in a higher state of mind and so for that, people can go on YouTube and there's literally hundreds of thousands of options when it comes to these music meditations that we do, uh, which they're called kirtans, which is about K I K I R T A N kirtan. And if you just were to Google that word, then you would find uh, a, a massive amount of results in regard to spiritual music that anybody could just pop, pop in some earphones or have it playing in the background or whatever they're doing and uh, feel themselves um, being elevated spiritually. But yeah, again, the most important, the easiest way to to really feel an immediate difference is to connect to somebody who's, who's uh, spiritual. And so BhaktiCenter.org is great for that. Um, especially on their Instagram page, they've been doing live streams of, of different talks and people come in and speak and, and it's very easy to get connected to these people and and um, develop, start developing spiritual relationships, uh, which are really the most important thing.
0: Great, great. Well, Alex, I think that's a lot of great uh, material that we covered. Uh, I, I learned a lot, and hopefully our, our listeners will learn a lot. Do you have any other last thoughts you want to share? Or
1: Yeah, I just wanted to thank you so much. It's such a pleasure being on here, I appreciate your questions very much. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, hoping, praying everybody stays safe and uh, well during this whole lockdown experience. And uh, one metaphor I like to contemplate when it comes to facing adversity is that of uh, an experiment that was actually run, believe it or not, by scientists. Um, and they had two different rooms that they separated and they put a bunch of frog in each room. And also within the room, they had two pots of water.
0: Sorry, You said frogs? So in... Yes, frogs. Okay. Yeah, they
1: had a bunch of frogs in each room. Mm-hmm. And then they also had two pots of water. Um, and so then in the one room, that was very hot. They turned it up and it was very hot. Uh, and in the other room, it was just kind of lukewarm. And so then in the room where the water was really hot, the frogs either didn't go in at all because they could feel the heat or it they, they felt it once they got in and then jumped right out. Um, and so they all survived, actually. And then in the room where the water was lukewarm, all the frogs wound up dead. Because warm water isn't good for frogs. But the thing is, is they got into the water and they got used to it. And then they got used to something that ultimately wasn't good for them. And it uh, cost them uh, dearly. Uh, and so what we could take away from that is oftentimes Situations that may appear to be uh, extremely trying or, or difficult, um, that may have a, may feel like the heat is turned up on us, are ultimately uh, for our benefit if we choose to let them be. And so, I think as long as people uh, take advantage of this time that we have to introspect, to inquire, and to consider how they can um, really connect within. Um, while we're all externally very limited, uh, then this need be a setback in the uh, history of of American society. In fact, it could be a, a period of great growth. And so I'm hoping everybody takes advantages of the spiritual resources available. And, and of course, if anyone's interested in some books, then shoot me an email and we'll send you a spiritual care package, the coronavirus special,
0: as we're calling it. That sounds great i really i really do agree and i hope that we can come out of this whole very strange experience uh having learned a lot about ourselves and society so that's a great thought to end on thank you so much alex uh we will provide your contact info when we post this so people can send you an email and ask you more questions if they have any perhaps you can send them some resources if they're interested
1: awesome yeah it'd be my total pleasure please Nobody hesitate to reach out at your service. And thank you very much, Sterling, again for having me. It's it's a lot of fun. I appreciate it very much.
0: And of course, thank you to everyone listening in and joining us for episode two of the AHM podcast. And we'll see you next time. Thanks. Stay safe.